Locked On Podcast Network presents Locked On Sports Today. The Warriors find themselves in an unfamiliar position for the defending champs, and that's because the upstart Kings have handled the bright lights. Plus, the Suns' biggest weakness has been exposed. I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're Locked On Sports Today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. Light the beam times two. Game two had a desperate defending champion Warriors team coming into Sacramento, and it was the Kings who once again prevailed with incredibly clutch play down the stretch. This from our boss, David Locke. Both game one and game two with 550 left were tied. The Kings have outscored the Warriors in the final 550 of games one and two combined 40 to 29. Matt George from Locked On Kings joins me. And Matt, how has this Kings team with no playoff experience essentially other than Harrison Barnes been doing this against the defending champs? Well, they've surprised us all with uh, the, the support of their defense, something that we knew was their biggest weakness coming into this series. And the whole buildup all week long, we hear defense is different in the playoffs. The Sacramento Kings offense is not going to be able to play at the uh, level that they're used to. And to this extent so far through these two games, the Kings offense hasn't looked as potent as it is uh, capable of being. And yet here they are 2-0 because they've been forcing a boatload of turnovers uh, from the uh, uh, Golden State Warriors. They've been getting out in transition. And the one thing that you can pull from the regular season in terms of defensive metrics in their favor is while they were one of the worst teams in the league defensively and it wasn't close, in the fourth quarter, they were in the top half of the league in fourth quarter defense, which is one of the reasons why they won so many games. This team has shown an ability to lock in and get defensive stops when it matters. Of course, having De'Aaron Fox, the clutch player of the year, you know you're going to get clutch offensive buckets when it matters, which speaks to uh, that stat that David Locke shared. But even I, Sacramento Kings homer here, would never have predicted the Kings uh, winning two games and going 2-0 up on the defending champs on the backs of their defense. But here they are, and it leaves us to believe Maybe the Sacramento Kings team is more ready for a deep playoff run than even we thought here in Sacramento. Yeah, and and they did win game one in a game where both teams scored over 120, right? So that was that was a little bit more up and down than this one, which was much more physical here in game two, as emphasized by Draymond Green getting ejected because him and Domas Sabonis got into a little bit of a wrestling match there. But winning multiple kinds of ways... Does that? How does that affect the way that you view this team as they go on the road and try and win in Golden State, where the Warriors have been a legitimately good team, whereas on the road they've been far less good this season? Well, I'm sorry, Peter. I'm going to have to get back to your question, but I, I take a bit of exception to what you said about a wrestling match happening between DeMont Sabonis <laughs> and, and, and Draymond Green. What reality, DeMont Sabonis deserved a technical foul for grabbing Draymond Green's ankle, but there is no place at all in the league for Draymond Green blatantly stomping on the chest of DeMont Sabonis the way he did. That is a dirty play. That is an inexcusable play. He should be suspended minimum a game, uh, and Adam Silver was here in attendance, so he got a good look at it, and then Draymond Green steps on the bench and starts riling up the sack. Sacramento Kings crowd who had already been tra- chanting Draymond sucks uh, for the majority of the half. So that part of Draymond Green, I ac- actually don't mind. I've actually defended Draymond Green in the sense that I like the villain. I like him bringing that. I think it's good for the league. I think it's good for the drama. But what Draymond Green is absolutely inexcusable. It's BS, if I could actually say the term. It's, there's no place for it in the league. DeMontis Sabonis after the game, is undergoing uh, uh, um, a... Uh, 
x-rays on his ribs and to check on his lungs to make sure everything is okay. Hopefully everything's fine. He was able to finish out the game. But Draymond Green, we cannot just toss this up as a wrestling match and something that happens in basketball because it's absolutely not. Now, going back to your question. No, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we did that. If I can remember correctly, talking about going into the Golden or the uh, uh, Chase Center, believe it or not, like this is what's been so confusing about this Kings team this year is they've been better on the road than they've been at home. Mm. But based off of what we've seen in the series so far, maybe not as much from the regular season is translating to how the Kings are playing right now on the defensive end. So I would almost expect the Kings defense to be maybe a little bit better in that environment based off what they've done in the regular season. But also I think the Golden State Warriors need to be really fearful because the Sacramento Kings offense has not had that explosion yet to the rate that they're capable of. This game could have gotten ugly multiple times, especially early if the Sacramento Kings were hitting their opening shots. For the second straight game, they started out at least 0 of 7 from three-point range. The Kings were like 0 of 10 at one point from behind the arc. The Warriors, quite frankly, are, are lucky the Kings weren't hitting shots early. Stay up to date all year on the Sacramento Kings by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Kings on your favorite podcast app and YouTube. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Coming up, the Warriors are down 2-0 in a playoff series for the first time since 2007. But before we get to that, the Eagles are making a monster investment. The NBA playoffs rage on, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will win the NBA title. Or you can check out the Clippers and Suns matchup for game two. The Clips won game one, but FanDuel has the Suns favored by seven and a half tonight. You can gamble on that from an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. The Philadelphia Eagles are making sure Jalen Hurts stays right where he is for a very long time. The deal has been done. The Philadelphia Eagles are extending franchise quarterback Jalen Hurts to a historic five-year contract worth $225 million. That puts him at an annual yearly salary of $51 million, making him the highest paid player in NFL history. The contract also worth $179 million, fully guaranteed. This should be celebrated, although it is a ton of money I always say if you don't have a quarterback worth paying the most in league history, then you don't have a quarterback. Jalen Hurts is that quarterback. And another level of commitment, a no-trade clause also in this deal. To see where the Philadelphia Eagles were just a year ago today, potentially looking into trading for other quarterback options, not knowing if Jalen Hurts could take an elite step, then he takes you in his second full year as a starter to the Super Bowl and now gets this deal. It's an incredible Cinderella story, an underdog story that's perfect for the city of Philadelphia. The Eagles have their long-term quarterback in Jalen Hurts. I'm Louis DiBiase, host of the Lockdown Eagles podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I would make the joke about how that kind of money could buy a lot of cheesesteaks, but... Given the way Jalen Hurts takes care of his body and works out, I imagine cheesesteak's not really on the menu for him. 
The Brooklyn Nets may not be long for these playoffs as they now trail the Philadelphia 76ers by two games. Doug Norrie locked on Nets coming at you following a 96-84 loss by Brooklyn to Philly in game two of this first round playoff series. Brooklyn gave them everything they could on defense, holding Joel Embiid and James Harden to just 28 points combined, which is usually what you would think a recipe for victory. But they couldn't stop Tyrese Maxey and they couldn't score themselves. Brooklyn just shot 31% from the field on a night where they really needed to bomb threes and really needed to make them. They just couldn't get them to go down in the second half. All in all, a very strong effort by a Brooklyn team that's clearly uh, outmanned in the talent department against Philly. Would have liked to come away from it with a victory. We're not able to get it done. We will be covering this game and the rest of the playoff series over Locked On Nets. The Boston Bruins set records for winning during the regular season. So, of course, they won game one against the Florida Panthers in the playoffs. The Boston Bruins got the job done in game one, defeating the Florida Panthers by a score of 3-1. to one. This is Ian McLaren, host of Locked On Boston Bruins. And this was a weird one because the Florida Panthers had the Lions' share of shots, but this one could have been 5-6-1 were it not for Alex Lyon in the other net who made a few 10-bell saves, particularly on Trent Frederick. But Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, Jake DeBrusque found the back of the net, and they were able to get the win without their captain, who is out with illness. Tyler Bertuzzi had a whale of a game as well, two primary assists, and uh, just disruptive at all ends of the ice. Linus Allmark, very strong in net for the Bruins, who now have a 1-0 series lead. The New York Islanders were glad to be back in those playoffs, but were handed a Game 1 loss by the Carolina Hurricanes. Islanders fall to the Hurricanes 2-1 in Game 1. Gil Martin of Locked On Islanders here. It's a 1-0 series. Islanders trailing in it because of a one-goal road loss. And Game 1 was very much what we expected, a low-scoring, physical, tight affair. But at the end of the day, the difference, Carolina scored twice on their power play, and the Islanders did not score at all on theirs. And yeah, there were some questionable penalty calls against the Isles, but realistically, you got to be able to kill the power plays off. And when the Islanders had their chances with the extra attacker, they were just unable to consistently create chances except for one or two, and they weren't able to capitalize. So Islanders trail in the series one to nothing. Game two coming up on Wednesday. For more in-depth analysis of your New York Islanders, check out Locked on Islanders, wherever you get podcasts. And the only thing that can beat Shohei Otani, apparently, is Mother Nature. A pair of rain delays robbed the world of Shohei Otani's pitching more than three innings, but the Angels got a marathon win over the Red Sox on Boston Marathon Day. It was a marathon game on Boston Marathon Day as the Angels beat the Red Sox 5-4. to four. Man, feels good to at least get one game after losing the first three in this series. What's going on, everybody? It's John Frisch, one half of Locked On Angels. We all set our alarms early so that we could watch Shohei Otani pitch. Unfortunately, the rain delay caused the game to start an hour late. Shohei got in there for two innings with a 5-1 lead, thinking, this is great. He's going to cruise to the end of the game. And then there was another rain delay, which ended his start prematurely, unfortunately. But I got to say... 
Tucker Davidson held it down pretty well. Three and a third innings pitched, one run. Carlos Estevez was able to get the save. The bullpen held it down other than Aaron Loop, <laughs> as usual. And we got the win with Hunter Renfro getting a big home run. Zach Neto getting his first big league hit. Feels good to at least take one after such a disastrous weekend. Mike and I are going to break this game down for you on Locked on Angels, and we hope you'll join us. Here is another story you need to know. Steve Kerr's Warriors were 24-8 and coming off losses in the postseason. So after a game one loss, we expected the Warriors to come out firing. And they did fire. And in the end, Draymond Green maybe showed a little bit too much fire, getting ejected late in the fourth quarter. And the Kings, they showed some fire of their own in a 114-106 win Cyrus Atzas joins me now, and and Cyrus, I think that the Warriors struggles all year on the road um, have very little bearing to me about what happened in this postseason. The Warriors just don't look like the Warriors right now. Why? I mean, a myriad of reasons. Um, Yeah, the, the Warriors had the worst road record by defending world champion in the modern era this year, save mm. for the 99 Bulls, but that was a strike strike shortened season and they weren't they were done i mean they were in a rebuild mode jordan left phil left everyone left um so this was this was the worst row team in the modern era by defending world champion ever and uh you know and and so the question entering the postseason was do they have a switch that they can flip um was the regular season woes just a a veteran team that's been there done that and they were bored um but unfortunately i think what we're seeing is that this the, the there was some truth uh, to the road struggles. The why of that, um, while it's been a mystery most of the year, what I'm seeing at least uh, in these first two games in Sacramento is that the Warriors lack depth. Um, their, their bench has been getting killed uh, this entire series, whereas the Kings have players like Davion Mitchell uh, playing 28 minutes, scoring uh, 14 points. Malik Monk, who had 32 in game one, had 18 tonight. Uh, you don't, you don't, you're not seeing that replicated on the Warriors' side. Uh, Gary Payton the second. Uh, played played well. I feel like he maybe could have played even more. I mean, he had 26 minutes tonight. He had 20 in game one. He makes a difference out there both on both sides of the ball, but especially defensively. Um, but outside of him, I mean, you know, Steve Kerr is getting outcoached. I don't mean to be long-winded and go into this, but Steve Kerr is being outcoached in the series, and it's largely because uh, Mike Brown is utilizing his bench. He's playing the right players, whereas Steve Kerr, um, is not. I mean, Jonathan Kaminga is a perfect example of that. Kaminga is a player who uh, worked his way into the rotation this year. Um, when Kaminga plays 25 plus minutes per game, the Warriors win 70% of the time over that. Wow. Uh, but when he plays 20 or less minutes, they lose over 70% of the time. Yet for some reason, Steve Kerr um, just has severe trust issues with, with most of his young players and only played Kaminga three minutes, 56 seconds tonight. And uh, you know, the only other really big player on his bench is Jamichael Green. He won't play him. He played him 50 seconds tonight, DNP'd him in game one. So ultimately, it's it's the bench that's colossally letting down the Warriors so far. Yeah, the, the problem for coaches to me is you're only as you're only as good a coach as your options, right? And so yeah. the, the Warriors just don't have the same sort of options right now. The thing about that, Cyrus, is we thought, okay, well, we know that the bench is a little thin, but Clay, Draymond, and Steph, when they all play. They don't lose playoff series. They just don't. And so what is it about the alchemy of those three that is not translating at least so far in this series? It's not like these are blowout losses. Like these, both these games have come out to the final minutes, but that's when 
we expect the defending champs to be at their best, and it's De'Aaron Fox who is at his best instead. Yeah, well, it's it's always been a misnomer that the, the Warriors' core three have like carried the team to all these to the four championships. They've always, with the exception of the Kevin Durant years, like the 2018 championship, that was a thin bench, but you had so much star power in your starting lineup right. that you could survive that. You could stagger at any time to more Hall of Famers has a way of doing that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and people forget like that that team had the the big four and Andre Iguodala still in his prime. So like that team was was stacked. But besides that, this has been a team that succeeded with depth even last year. Um, whereas most teams go eight, nine deep in a bench, sometimes just seven. The Warriors will go 11, 12. Um, but whether it's because of roster construction, I don't agree with that. This has been the first time where the Warriors have had a division in terms of coaches and front office. Uh, Myers and Kerr have always been incredibly simpatico. Uh, they use, they normally have a great relationship. This year, that has changed. Uh, Kerr threw, I'm sorry, uh, Bob Myers threw Kerr under the bus in one of his recent uh, press conferences, publicly expressing frustration at the fact that Kerr will not play the players that Myers gets for him. Um, and, and it shows. I mean, Bob Myers had a vision this year. His vision was, we have three young, ex extraordinarily talented players who are very young, and we're going to give these three to you, Steve Kerr. You play them. You already played them last year and won a title with them. Play them more now. Give them 25, 30 minutes a game. Get them ramped up. Give them the experience so that they could be uh, core bench players come postseason time. Stay up to date all year on the Golden State Warriors by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Warriors on your favorite podcast app and YouTube. Coming up, the Suns' biggest weakness has already been exposed. It's one game, so maybe we won't get too dramatic, but the Suns showed a glaring weakness in their loss to the Clippers, at least according to Howard Beck on a recent episode of Locked On NBA. And... Look, I don't want to go too far down this road after just one game. But the two things I was concerned about with the Suns, despite all of the marquee power, despite all the hype, despite all the odds by a, a, a lot of estimations being in their favor, not just to win this series, of course, but to come out of the West, the concerns I had about the Suns, starting from the moment Durant got there and then immediately got hurt, was, do they have enough time together for this to all make sense, right? Is the chemistry going to be okay? And then on the on top of that, of course, there were issues, concerns, uh, not just by me, about their depth. And lo and behold, like they barely went six deep um, for that first game. You know, a, a lot of five minutes by a Biombo here and seven minutes by an Ish Wayne right there. You know, Landry Shamit at 24 minutes is the only guy who plays significant time off the bench for the Suns in game one. And, you know, it, it was it was a reasonable concern at the moment they made the deal and, you know, obviously had to ship out Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson and, and, and they, they lose all this depth and especially perimeter depth. And OK, it's it's one game of <laughs> one series against a very good Clippers team. Nothing means anything yet, but I do think that. Um, if you wanted to be uh, an alarmist about this, you'd say, <laughs> well, maybe the Suns weren't quite as in sync as you would hope, and maybe their depth is uh, as concerning as we might have thought. There is something a bit ironic about the Suns and their continuity issues, the depth issues we know. That is from the D Kevin Durant trade. But the continuity issues that this team has not played together much, 
That's exactly what we were saying about the Clippers because when Kawhi would play, Paul George wouldn't. And when Paul George would play, Kawhi wouldn't. They rarely had their full complement of players together for any stretch. They never went, okay, here's two, three, four weeks straight of this is their team, the way we would hope it looks in the postseason. And so it took a lot of projection to say they could be a title team because we just hadn't seen it. And now they're coming up against a Suns team that was the favorite coming into the postseason, at least according to our friends on FanDuel. And it's the Suns that don't have the continuity. I find that more than a little amusing. And finally, the Los Angeles Dodgers have made a number of high-profile moves over the last few years. But not all of them will grab headlines, or at least not all of them will affect the team on the field. The Dodgers announced they re-signed Andrew Tolles back in March. He hasn't actually played for the Dodgers since 2018 because he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Tolles won't play for the Dodgers, but the deal he signed gives him access to the team's health insurance and mental health services, which include treatment. It's a reminder, athletes are people, and it's good to see teams remember that too. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up tomorrow, can the Suns even their series with the Clippers? So at least until tomorrow, stay Locked On Sports today.